Hey gang, Select Game is back, and to celebrate, every original ebook and video bundle in the logbook.com store, that is the logbook.com slash store, is available for a limited time only for $1. So everything from the best of Classic Gaming Expo 2003, 2005, and 2007 video bundles to the complete Phosphor Fossils video bundle to all of my ebooks on everything from Star Trek to Doctor Who to Growing Up Geeky, everything is just a buck and you can download it instantly on our new and improved download delivery system. Just go to thelogbook.com slash store. Everything's a buck for a limited time only. Thanks for supporting the show. Hit it! Ah, the late 70s and early 80s. Uh, the boom years of the video game industry. Yeah. And my game system was the Magnavox Odyssey 2. Sleek, stylish, futuristic, and totally underappreciated. Sorry. Let's change that. I'll dig through the Odyssey 2 library, introduce you to each game, offer a few of my own expanded memories of playing them both then and now, and we'll see if those games hold up today. Incredible. I'm Earl Green, and this is... Select Game. <laughs> Welcome back to Select Game. How you doing? Been gone for a while. Just wanted to give a shout-out to my Patreon patrons, GoFundMe donors, and everyone else who pitched in. The family is now in Utah. Things are returning mm, somewhat to normal. I'm not going to say it was a smooth move or a particularly well-planned move, but it did happen. You're here, little C. What What was your favorite part of moving? Did you like it? Yeah. What did you like about it? Well, um, I haven't heard about it yet. You haven't heard about it, but you lived it. Little I, <laughs> there is some ropes. Little C, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, I uh, wanted to give you a heads up on some plans for 2019. Um, I will be beginning a new podcast at logbook.com called Retrogram which has to do with largely 1970s, but also some early 80s genre TV shows, science fiction, superheroes, horror, fantasy, that sort of thing, swords and sorcery. You can find out more about the podcast and how it works because it really is directed by you, the audience. You can find out more about it at thelogbook.com slash retrogram. And one of the plans for Retrogram is that it is going to be an audio podcast as well as a video cast. And the same is going to be true for Select Game when it returns in February 2019 after its holiday break at the end of this year. The intention is for Select Game to also be a video cast as well as an audio podcast. Um, many people have commented on the fact that it's kind of silly to have an audio podcast about video games. I kind of tend to agree with that, but I just wasn't set up to do video cast at my old place. And <laughs> one of the uh, one of the things that I liked about the place that we moved into is that I walked into the basement area and saw like exposed beams in my brain having worked in a TV studio before. I was like, oh, hey, I could hang lights from those. I could mount cameras 
for wide shots up there and leave them there. And, you know, holy cow, I could decorate this place and it would be kind of amazing. And so that's that's the plan. As soon as I am able to afford it, uh, select game is going video. You will be able to see my pulsating face as I sit here and talk to you about Odyssey 2 in video pack games. And maybe little C will be sitting in and yawning in the background. Okay, so that's the plan. There is a an Amazon wish list for studio supplies and uh, kind of setting the, the background set up if you want to pitch in, but even if you don't, I am just very happy that the show has supporters. I'm very happy that me and my kids personally had supporters through this whole move because... Like I said, it's uh, it's kind of a cross-country move from hell, and I think we're glad it's all over. And hey, how <laughs> about that new opening song? That is by a Russian band called Toledo Fusion. I found their track, and if you are a podcaster and you want some royalty-free tracks licensed under Creative Commons that you can use on your own shows with attribution, feel free to visit where I found Toledo Fusion, at freemusicarchive.org, the Internet Free Music Archive. And now, let's find out who killed the Odyssey 3. The Odyssey 3 Command Center was introduced to the public at the 1983 Consumer Electronics Show, which ran between January 6th and 9th, 1983. Now, the backward compatibility with the Odyssey 2 meant that it was still based around the Intel 8048 central processor with an extra graphics chip to provide some tile-based background elements. The clever thing about that chip was that games designed to show those tiled background elements could be played on the Odyssey 2, except any instructions related to that chip would obviously just go nowhere and the game would play with foreground graphics only. The new joysticks for the Odyssey 3 were designed by James M. Lentz, and he filed a patent for the design in November of 1983, which was not granted until April 1985. Just a bit late in the day. Actually, we have some audio here from a video presentation that Phillips ran at the 1983 Winter Consumer Electronics Show, and... Uh, this was originally published on the Odyssey 2 DVD by Packrat Games in the early 2000s. Now, I do believe that DVD has gone out of print, out of production. So here is the audio from that presentation. The video is easy to find on YouTube. And I'll warn you about this. It is narrated by a really bad Rod Serling impersonator. Odyssey is about to change the name of the game. Witness the launch of the Odyssey Command Center. A totally new precision keyboard fingertip command over all keyboard functions for increased play value and computer and terminal expansion. 
Hand controls contoured to fit comfortably in the palm of the hand. Hand controls that store in convenient space ports, out of the way, but never far away. Command Center. It's a whole new game with high-resolution graphics that fill the screen with a blaze of colorful action. Enter, if you dare, the forbidden dimension of Spirus the Deathless, Time Lord of Chaos, as awesome armadas pursue you through a newly created Time Lord in eternity. Each attack more intense, more dangerous, more difficult to repel. The Command Center delivers greatly improved graphic treatments of several current game favorites, like baseball. Now with playing field details and dugouts. Pickaxe Pete. Fast-paced action in the Misty Mountain Mine. Rich in new graphic detail. And Freedom Fighters. The Pulsar Empire's deep space confinement was never more ominous. Couple a new voice module to the Odyssey Command Center and add exciting voice and enhanced sound effects directly to the speaker and volume control on your TV. Over 50 current game cartridges work in the Command Center. Many Command Center series games will work with existing Odyssey 2 mainframes. whole new game that protects the current game. A masterful marketing stroke of far-reaching and profitable proportions. Dock the Odyssey Command Center modem into the expansion port. Add a telephone and data network subscription and transform Command Center into a home computer terminal. Providing access to encyclopedia memory banks as a homework helper. Business and financial reports as an investment guide. Worldwide news sources as information center. Also planned for the command center system is a computer programming module that expands the uses of the standing keyboard to the expectations of tomorrow. Basic programming capability with optional mass storage packs for program and data retention. Watch for the intercontinental launch of the Odyssey Command Center to be seen and heard in the news around the world as no other Odyssey product introduction before it. Roger, Command Center. Command Center, you are go for staging. Command Center, looking good. News from Odyssey, the Command Center. Now, it's a whole new game. The press response to the Odyssey 3 announcement is interesting, especially since the press response began before the Odyssey 3 was publicly announced. The first mention of the Odyssey 3 came in the December 5th, 1982 Arcade Express newsletter, which was a bi-weekly newsletter from the editors of Electronic Games magazine, so they could break news faster than the monthly, you know, the monthly release rate and the probably uh, in those days two or three month lead time that they would be lagging behind with the more glossy magazine. Arcade Express was edited by Joyce Worley Katz. It was literally done on a typewriter and photocopied and sent out to subscribers. What's interesting about that date, December 5th, 1982, is that this means that Arcade Express broke the news of the Odyssey 3 over a month before 
the Winter 1983 Consumer Electronics Show. The headline is NAP Preview's Newest Odyssey. The Odyssey division of North American Philips, which currently produces the Odyssey 2 standard programmable video game system, has announced plans to introduce an upgraded unit under the Odyssey 3 name by mid-1983. Although earliest advanced reports build this new entry is likely to signal NAP's move into the field of true computers, the Odyssey 3 is better described as an enhanced and upgraded descendant of the current keyboard-equipped video game now manufactured by the company. The most encouraging news about this new system is that it is both upwardly and downwardly compatible with the Odyssey 2. That is, all cartridges produced for the Odyssey 2 will work in the Odyssey 3 and vice versa. Of course, a cartridge designed for the newer machine will look and play better on the Odyssey 3, but Odyssey 2 owners who buy it will still get a cartridge of the quality they expect. The Odyssey 3 is expected to boast several advantages over its predecessor. The most obvious is improved graphics capabilities. The new NAP game machine boasts increased screen RAM that allows for software with much more intricately rendered backgrounds than can be provided with Odyssey 2 cartridges. It is likely that some existing titles as Pickaxe Pete will be reissued in revised editions which utilize the increased ability of the Odyssey 3 to present detailed illustration on the screen. The new console will also be significantly more compact than the present one. It, like the Odyssey 2, will have the ability to interface with a speech synthesizer, but the add-on will attach less obtrusively to the back panel instead of sitting right on top of the basic unit. The keyboard is the key has been an Odyssey advertising slogan for some time now, and this aspect of the Odyssey 3 system hasn't been neglected. The new system will offer the first full-size keyboard with buttons, as opposed to the current monoplanar design in the video game field. The Winter 1983 Odyssey 2 Adventure magazine, which was produced by Philips you know, basically as a direct advertising organ to its fan base, this would have been published early in 1983, probably right alongside or not very long after the CES announcement of the Odyssey 3, but it's kind of funny because this first mention of the Odyssey 3 in Odyssey Adventure magazine really buries the lead. It's in the back end of a preview article titled, What's New at Odyssey West? Uh, here's, here's really the only paragraph of that article that mentions it. Sam Overton told us something about software applications for the new Odyssey 3 mainframe being developed. It features greatly enhanced background graphics for current and future Odyssey games. We've seen some of the graphics and we can tell you they're going to make Odyssey games more fun to play. The good news is that you'll be able to play any of your current Odyssey 2 games on the new Odyssey 3 and all the future Odyssey 3 games can be played on the Odyssey 2. However, the enhanced graphics will only show up on the Odyssey 3. Electronic Fun with Computers and Games magazine in its March 1983 edition published an extensive article, Game Workout Odyssey 3, Lookout, Atari, and Mattel. Um, I'm not going to read the whole article, obviously, but here are some interesting technical notes that turn up in that piece. The Odyssey 3 Command Center will be in the stores in July. The list price will be $199. That means you'll probably be able to buy it for 150 or so. It will have 16K external ROM, read-only memory. Four weeks after the Odyssey 3 goes on sale, a voice module will be offered. At the same time, a telephone modem will be released, so you can hook up your Odyssey 3 to telecommunication centers such as Dow Jones, The Source, and CompuServe. 
For those who know their computers, the modem will be a Bell 103 standard with full duplex, 300 baud transmission rate, direct connect, and switchable for answer and originate modes. Now that's kind of interesting that the Odyssey 3 modem would have had an answer mode. So does this mean that if someone programmed a bulletin board system software package for the Odyssey 3, I could run a BBS from an Odyssey 3? Because that's like the harmonic convergence of everything I was interested in at the time. However, by the summer 1983 CES, things had changed. Odyssey 3 was a no-show, with Philips Marketing VP Jerry Michelson announcing on June 4th, we're putting the new system on hold for the time being. And he then tried to shift the focus of attention to Odyssey's new software offshoot, Probe 2000, which would supposedly be publishing games for consoles other than the Odyssey 2 or presumably the Odyssey 3 that would never actually see the light of day. A September release date was announced for The Adventures of the Pink Panther and Power Lords, both for the Atari 2600. Neither of those games ever saw the light of day, though a Pink Panther prototype is known to exist in the hands of a private collector. And so far as I know, the ROM for that remains undumped to this day. In 1999, I interviewed Bob Harris, the designer of Killer Bees, who also designed War Room, which was the only Probe 2000 game that ever made it to market. I interviewed Bob for Chris Cavanaugh's much-missed Classic Gamer magazine, and here is what Bob had to say about Pink Panther and Probe 2000. The outfit in Indianapolis that we had hired, I don't recall their name, to do the Pink Panther game for Atari, reported a failure in the chips that they had fabbed to do the cartridge. The Atari cartridge required in-cartridge bank switching if you wanted a very large ROM in it, and this outfit had fabbed a chip to do that, and the chip failed. And since that was to be the bellwether of the line, NAP decided to shut down the program. The stated reason was the failure of the Atari 2600 Pink Panther chip fab. I got the news when my boss just happened to mention it in passing. Electronic Fun with Computers and Games in its January 1984 issue reported that all future Probe 2000 titles had been cancelled. Here's what Bob Harris had to say about the final days of Odyssey. No one was let go. For a while the group fiddled around with designing another game system. Eventually they moved us to another building and put us to work on the Video Writer, a self-contained word processor. You see that type of product in the office stores, a replacement for the typewriter. Most of the industry press stated that Philips had halted the Odyssey 3 because it would have been obsolete before it hit the stores. But what if that's not the real reason? Remember what Bob Harris said. For a while, the group fiddled around with designing another game system. In February 1983, drafts of a non-disclosure agreement were being sent back and forth between lawyers for Mattel Electronics and North American Philips ahead of a presentation in March. According to the wording of the February 22nd draft of the NDA, Mattel and Philips each desire to determine the feasibility of entering into certain business relationships, principally with respect to Intellivision 4, Odyssey 4, and subsequent generations of home games and computers, the nature of which each party is cognizant. A further draft dated March 3, 1983 deleted the reference to either Intellivision 4 or Odyssey 4. 
A letter from Eugene Lubchenco, Philip's VP of New Product and Systems Engineering, was sent to Dave Chandler, widely regarded as the father of Intellivision, who at the time held the title of Chief Scientist and VP of Strategic Development at Mattel Electronics. Typed on North American Philip's letterhead and dated March 25, 1983, the letter reads, Dear Dr. Chandler, please consider the attached copies of information which we discussed at our meeting March 9, 1983, as confidential within the terms of our agreement. The subject matter covers system architecture and interfaces of Odyssey 4 and proprietary information regarding Motorola's RMS raster memory system. The diagram attached to this letter can best be described as something as a cross between a flowchart and crop circles. At the epicenter of it is a circle reading Odyssey 4 Game Subsystem. Outlying circles read as follows. Odyssey 4 Home Computing Subsystem. General Purpose Dedicated Function. Printers, Discs, etc. Odyssey 4 Interactive Controller Subsystem. Video Disc, Cable Download, etc. Odyssey 4 Home Terminal Subsystem. Video Text, The Source, Dow Jones, Two-Way Cable, Local Network, etc. Lines connect each of these circles with notes indicating that there would be converters to connect all of these Odyssey 4 elements to the Odyssey 4 game console. Now, maybe the biggest surprise is that all of this is inside a circle, and that circle is inside a larger concentric circle bearing the legend Odyssey 5. Why did the Odyssey 3 never come out? The stated reason may actually be accurate, if lacking in some major details. Philips intended to play a longer game with the Odyssey product line, eventually transitioning into the home computer market. The Odyssey 3's backward and forward compatibility with the Odyssey 2, while it sounds like an amazing boon for existing Odyssey 2 owners, was likely dictated by marketing, and it may have hamstrung the machine. Here's what Bob Harris, Killer Bee's designer, had to say about the Odyssey 3 system architecture. All the Odyssey 3 was was an Odyssey 2 with a character grid video chip behind it, you could make some nice pictures with the chip, but you had to reuse character patterns to do it. In other words, you couldn't just draw a picture freehand and expect to have enough character patterns to be able to accomplish that picture on the chip. The initial idea was to release cartridges that worked on both the Odyssey 2 and Odyssey 3. What this usually meant was that the Odyssey 3 portion of it wasn't going to be part of the gameplay, just a snazzy background that had no impact on the game. With negotiations ongoing between Mattel Electronics and Philips to join forces for something that might be either in Television 4 or Odyssey 4 throughout the spring of 1983, there was probably significant pressure from within Philips' upper echelons to kill the Odyssey 3. The compatibility issue limited the system's capabilities, and having an Odyssey 3 hit the market and flop would have weakened Philips' position in negotiations with Mattel Electronics significantly. Now, how far along was the design work on the Odyssey 4 architecture? Far enough that we have, at least on paper, a look under the hood. A two-chip system with true NTSC and PAL synchronization. One megabyte of memory. Programmable resolutions of 256, 320, or 640 horizontal by 200, 240, 400, or 480 vertical. A variable number of characters per line in steps from 32 to 80 characters. You have to keep in mind 80 column displays were very popular at the time. Each character being 8 by 10 pixels, each character could be anywhere from 2 to 16 colors. A 12-bit 32 color palette was available. 
There could be eight moving objects bitmapped or run length encoded, each 31 lines high and four colors per object. The graphics chip would be designed for horizontal or vertical scrolling with a bitmap mode and a built-in collision detection facility. And finally, for those of you who like your warm chocolate pudding, analog RGB output. The specs diagram mentions a 32K Texas Instruments 4416 chip. This may be an evolution of the 16K TI4116 RAM chip that could already be found in the TI994A and in some Sinclair computers. There's also a diagram indicating that the Odyssey 4 would be capable of Genlock. Now Genlock is a video engineering term that I ran into many a times when I was working in broadcast. What Genlock does is it synchronizes video inputs so one signal can be overlaid on the other. You wouldn't need Genlock in a game system unless you're planning to do something like Astron Belt, which was a Laserdisc arcade game which drew the player's space fighter over pre-recorded Laserdisc footage. The resulting video output would be an unreadable mess without Genlock. Now, Genlock is also vital to things like broadcast character generators, title generators, and that sort of thing. Philips' design documents shared with Mattel Electronics show that they were now less concerned with backward compatibility with Odyssey 2 and more concerned with future-proofing the Odyssey 4 so it could accept external video signals. This would give it a leg up on the Laserdisc game craze, which was then very new with the likes of Dragon Slayer and Astron Belt, you know, just in case the Laserdisc thing hit big enough that it became a home system bonus feature, really. The Odyssey 4 would be pre-wired for it. No paperwork with specs for the Odyssey 5 is included with the material shared with Mattel Electronics. That means it was probably just a placeholder for whatever system would improve and expand upon the Odyssey 4's capabilities. Now, let's backtrack a bit. Why would Mattel Electronics try to forge an alliance with Philips? What was in it for the Intellivision people? Well, the thing is, they had gotten themselves in a spot of trouble. Since 1979, the earliest in television marketing had touted an add-on keyboard that would turn Mattel's Intellivision console into a full-fledged computer system. The release dates for the original keyboard component slipped from 1980 into 1981 into 1982. With, you know, a few token quantities of the very bug-ridden keyboard component being released in a few test markets like New Orleans, until finally the Federal Trade Commission charged Mattel Electronics with fraudulent advertising. And according to many sources, quoted widely across the Internet as fact, the FTC began levying a $10,000 per day fine for every day that the keyboard component didn't come out. Now, let me just uh, go on a detour here for just a moment. The reason I put an asterisk next to the $10,000 a day fine is because I can find no mention of it whatsoever in the Federal Trade Commission's own archives of judgments, decisions, and enforcement actions. There's a memo in Dave Chandler's archive documents about an August 1982 meeting between Mattel legal counsel and representatives from the FTC, but curiously, I am finding no documentation that backs up this widely reported $10,000 a day fine, nor am I finding any contemporary press accounts of such an enforcement action. Just thought I'd put that out there. A few of the keyboard components which was, you know, like I said, very buggy and often delayed. The project was overseen by Dave Chandler, Papa in television himself. 
and uh, a few of them were sold in select test markets, but Mattel finally took the computer expansion project out of Chandler's hands, ultimately releasing the Intellivision Computer Module, also known as the Entertainment Computer System, or ECS, which had been developed by another team within Mattel Electronics that was completely secret from Chandler because of uh, office politics, basically. Ironically, the Intellivision computer module was first shown off at the winter 1983 Consumer Electronics Show, same as the Odyssey 3. It was finally released to retail later in the year, along with the only half-dozen titles of software that would ever be released for it. And supposedly, asterisk here again, this ended nearly a year of $10,000 per day fines from the FTC. It's possible that Mattel Electronics saw an Intellivision Odyssey merger as a possible solution to its keyboard and computer upgrade woes. In that context, it would seem doubtful that any eventual product would have gone out under the Odyssey name. It almost certainly would have been Intellivision 4. But of course, as both Odyssey and Intellivision fans know, Intellivision 4 never happened. In 1983, Mattel Electronics, or Mattel as a whole, thanks largely to Mattel Electronics, suffered a $300 plus million loss. This nearly bankrupted Mattel as a whole. I mean, you think about it, Barbie was still in the stores, Hot Wheels was still in the stores. It's not like Mattel was vested entirely in the video game world, and yet the sales from those toys was not making up for the shortfall coming from the video game division. The president of Mattel Electronics, Josh Denham, whose name appears prominently on this internal Intellivision 4 Odyssey 4 paperwork, depending on who you ask, he either resigned or was shown to the door on July 12, 1983. Dave Chandler's working group for the Intellivision 4 or Odyssey 4 was disbanded on August 4, 1983, both projects, or perhaps one project with two names, were now dead. Mattel later closed down the Mattel Electronics division on January 20th, 1984. And Phillips closed down the Odyssey Game Development Group in Knoxville just two months later in March. Who killed the Odyssey 3? The Odyssey 4 did. Or maybe it was the Intellivision 4. Or maybe it was a combination of circumstances that even a joining of forces between both of Atari's closest rivals couldn't hope to overcome. The internal documents used in this podcast were quietly released online in 2011 on PapaAndTelevision.com, a tribute site to the late Dave Chandler, operated by his son-in-law. You can see those documents for yourself there or at archive.org. A huge special thanks goes to select game listener and fellow video game historian Kevin Bunch for drawing my attention to these documents, because it seems unlikely I ever would have gone trolling through old internal documents from Mattel Electronics looking for the lost arc of the Odyssey product line. And yet there it is. Kevin has been doing some amazing work of his own unearthing the history and the similarly unrealized future of the RCA Studio 2 console, and he needs to write a book or start his own podcast or something because there's some really fascinating stuff that has turned up in his research. Now let's talk about the only game that was completed for the Odyssey 3, the decidedly non-backward compatible Flashpoint by Rex Battenberg. 
The designer and programmer of Flashpoint, Rex Battenberg, had worked at Taito America before joining the Odyssey West Game Design Group in Knoxville, Tennessee. He designed the arcade game Space Dungeon and did some additional programming on Zookeeper while he was working at Taito. The Space Dungeon connection is kind of interesting because, like Flashpoint, it is a dual joystick game. Flashpoint really would have required the Odyssey 3 joysticks to stay in their holders on the back of the console, or else the game would have had to include a special two-joystick holder similar to the one that, ironically, was packed in with the Atari 5200 port of Space Dungeon. Since the game never made it to market, there's no retail blurb, but here is Dan Gutman's description from his article in Electronic Fun with Computers and Games. You're floating above a large metropolis, never mind worrying what you were doing so high above town. What really concerns you are those six or seven small squares scattered through the city below that flash on and off ominously. On the ground is a tank which you control. You must maneuver your tank through the streets of the city in order to determine exactly what it is that's going on. There's a catch, however. If you don't reach a flashpoint within ten seconds, that section of the city will be reduced to rubble. Okay, you've reached the flashpoint. Suddenly you are transported close up to that area of the city where you see little marching aliens coming at you from all over the screen. These little mothers are relentless. If you're fast enough to blow them all away, you can watch your score mount in proportion to how much of the field they haven't trampled. Live or die, you must go back to the city to find another flashpoint and vanquish more aliens. Flashpoint was finally released as a cartridge on November 2nd, 2004 by Dieter Koenig's Classic Console Center, and it was modified to be compatible with the G7400 Plus video pack console. So, uh, bearing in mind that I'm going to have to play this in emulation, let's play Flashpoint. So, Flashpoint. Again, we're going to play this in emulation. I'm going to be using a keyboard as the controller because that way I can do two key clusters for the two joysticks, as this is a dual joystick game along the lines of Robotron and Rex Battenberg's own Space Dungeon. Let's fire it up. Press the S key to start the game. Oh, and there's a there's a high score leaderboard. City Savers. That's neat. Of course, it has no way to save that if you ever <laughs> power down the console and take the cartridge out. But okay, it's uh, kind of a, a neat idea. Odyssey actually trying to get in on the arcade action a bit. Let's play. All right, I'm a little green tank in the center of the screen. There's a cityscape all around me. Definitely more detailed than you would get from an Odyssey 2 game. And now let's zoom in to the zombie onslaught. It's kind of neat. Your little car, you can actually... You have some variability with, uh, with where it is vertically. You could actually park between two of the uh, vertical lines on the grid and shoot more than one zombie. I survived. Alright, a little symbol is going across counting up the score from the uh, non-destroyed background landscape that the zombies didn't trample. We did pretty good this time. 7, 8, 800, 7, 900, 8, 
All right. 8496 is the score. Let's go kill more zombies. Enter a flashpoint to protect the city. It's really handy that you can... that your movement isn't strictly grid-based. It has some... has some play to it. Alright, I did pretty good this time around. One thing about Flashpoint is that it's the only game I have tried to play on this podcast with Maria the Cat sitting on my right hand. Uh, this should make movement interesting on level three. Let's go kill some zombies, Maria. Think of them as little mice, little pixelated mice. Oh, they're they're getting vicious. I'm having to move out of my safe area to keep ahead of the the zombie hordes this time. Whew. I hardly had anything left of the uh, the green safe area in the middle of the screen, so my bonus multiplier is not going to be quite as high for this level. <clears throat> uh, what I was going to say before Maria sat on my hand, uh, she has moved now because I had to move my zombie fighting vehicle is that Flashpoint has multiple lives like an arcade game very very atypical for anything in the Odyssey library because normally Odyssey 2 is like life you get one shot and then you find out if you get to enter your initials for the high score or not life is a lot like that yeah they're coming to get me. They're coming to get me. Oh, they got me. Okay, the good news is... I don't know what that sound was. Of course, I'm playing it in emulation. The sound emulation may not be precise or perfect. Or Oh, wow, these guys are getting fast. I kind of had to go hug a wall and draw them all to me and just shoot in the same direction a lot. This is a pretty challenging game. This is a pretty addictive little number. Good on you, Rex Battenberg. I kind of wish the uh, little symbol counting up the score from the remaining untouched blocks would happen, I don't know, a little faster. Alright, let's see how fast I get killed here. Ooh, zombies. Ooh, look at all the zombies. Alright, got myself a... kind of a safe area carved out here in the corner. <laughs> They're making tracks all through the green area. My score is gonna suck. I'm just trying to get to where the 
zombie population is manageable. Oh, you stinkers. They are having their way with the green square at the center of the screen. Bye. Yeah, you hear you hear the score counter going silent. That's because they trampled a lot of the screen, and I don't get bonus points for what's left. This is neat. It's um, I've just seen a lot of reviews compare this to Robotron. Okay, I I kind of see it now. Robotron with a little bit of um, I don't know what you'd call this element of the game where you're trying to preserve the landscape. Alright. It's kind of interesting. You have a moment before they start moving in on you. Ah, they got me. I've still got, uh, oh, I'm down to only one zombie fighting vehicle. Alright. And get them all coming at me from one direction. That I can handle. I think. Maybe. Oh, this is not going well. I've, okay, well, I mean, I'm still... Okay, I just topped uh, 58,000 points. Oh, 60,000 points. I got an extra vehicle. I guess that happens every 30,000. I guess that's what that sound was. Okay. So my apologies. I, I, the emulator is doing the sound correctly. Apologies to Dan Boris there. Okay. How many more hot spots of zombie activity have I got? Oh no, they destroyed part of the city because my vehicle is so slow. Oh! Darn you zombies. Oh, oh, I'm... I am sucking on toast. Alright. You cannot sit still. As much as I would like to find a safe place where I can just sit and shoot at everyone. Oh, they got me cornered. <laughs> oh. Ah, okay. I think I might just make it out of this one live. Eat lead, zombies. Whew. Maria the cat, what do you think of that? Yeah, I know, Obi. You could play it better. Everyone's a critic. The little counter, when it's counting up your untouched landscape for your bonus score, it goes especially slow through the green squares in the middle, which, you know, I get it. Those are more valuable, and it's trying to make a point, but... You could almost go for pizza during these score-counting scenes. wreaking havoc through the city. Well, I wasn't really thinking of uh, Halloween-themed episodes, but man, all these zombies, I, I guess this'll... this'll do just fine. And they're going to kill me! 
Oh, oh, they're not going to kill me. Can I can I shoot vertical? Or, or oh, I can shoot diagonals. Awesome. I'm still going to die, but I just found out something awesome. I am so going to die. I was gonna make it out of that one. Notice how quiet the score counter is? <laughs> it's because I sucked! <laughs> oh! Yeah, if this had been the pack-in for the Odyssey 3, which, you know, is the only complete piece of Odyssey 3 specific software out there, um... I... It might have been onto something. Maybe. I'm not sure who would have checked out the Odyssey 3 at this stage. I mean, would it have just been Odyssey loyalists like me who liked the Odyssey 2 so much and they were ready to uh, see the platform evolve? Alright, 90,000. Another bonus tank, car, whatever. And here comes some bonus zombies to kill me. Ah. Okay, hugging this left wall is working for me. I think I <laughs> have like nine squares left of the green area. <laughs> they really went to town on this one. Yeah. Ninety-six thousand points. Am I going to cross a hundred thousand? I don't think I've ever gotten a hundred thousand on an Odyssey game before. Ninety-seven thousand. 97714 I'm gonna go for one of the faster flashing squares in the city ah they got me okay down to two cars two tanks Alright. Yep, yep. Cummy. White hot electric death. Whoa. <laughs> There's a failure to collision detect on that one. <laughs> I shot went right through him. Next shot didn't though. 100,000 points. Rather more left of the green area at the center of the screen. But not that much. <laughs> as you can hear. One hundred nine thousand points. One hundred ten thousand points. Okay. I don't have any documentation for this, so I don't know if there are switchable skill levels. Like I pressed one to start the game, and then and then I died suddenly. Um, I pressed 1 to start the game, so I don't know if that's like difficulty level 1. Maybe there are other selectable levels. I'll actually have to go back and check that. And even if there are, uh, then there's the question of, was that originally part of Rex Battenberg's program? 
or... There's one zombie left and he got me? You're kidding. Yeah, bye. Yeah, that, if there was a variable skill level, then I'd be questioning if that was Rex Battenberg's programming or if that was added by you know, whoever published the game on cartridge, which I guess would have been uh, Classic Console Center. Okay, I just passed 120,000 points, another multiple of 30,000. So I got a bonus car. Still, I do not think I can survive much more of this. <laughs> This is a great pack-in game, though, because, you know, l let's say this is the only skill level. Um, I've gotten more than 10 minutes of play out of this, and it's fun. It's still fun. That's what you want to do with a pack-in game. I mean, this is uh, a Speedway spin-out in CryptoLogic. This isn't. <laughs> Just shoot some zombies, why don't we? And that's my fallback strategy for this, is just hug the left wall, get them all coming at you from one direction, and just carpet bomb them. Okay, 138,000 points. I did pretty good preserving the green area, protecting it on this level. Uh, mainly because I was trying to get away from them and <laughs> wound up leading them away from it. The strategy of cowardice. Fully on display. Okay, well, let's go back up here. There's another one nearby. Oh, I see some... Rapidly flashing squares, I think the city is about to be laid to waste by zombies. Ah, they got me. Okay, last vehicle. I'm out of wheels. I'm out of time. Fortunately, I'm never running out of ammo, but my problem is I'm also not running out of zombies. Oh, I just got a bonus. Got an extra life. Okay, 150,000 points. Whew. Okay, that was dicey. Flashpoint. It's kind of interesting. The uh, I just noticed the tank has kind of rotating animation going on. I can't tell if it's like Kit from Knight Rider or, or what they're doing here. It's like the, the Cylon Mobile. Oh, I'm sorry, city. Only one can rule the night, and it's not me. <laughs> Let's shoot a bunch of zombies coming from all directions. Ah, they got me. Okay, one car left. And I'm nowhere near the next multiple of 30,000. I think I'm in trouble. Game over.
High score, PDF. Thank you very much. 163,136 points. I wonder if anyone's tracking high scores on an unreleased game. Anyway, Flashpoint by Rex Battenberg. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's really cool. I like it. So there you have it, Flashpoint by Rex Battenberg for the Odyssey 3. I realize this has been a much talkier installment of Select Game than you're probably used to, with only one gameplay segment, but I thought this information really deserved its own episode of the podcast and its own laser-like focus, because it really does add some major new information and some texture to the Odyssey story. Philips didn't just suddenly give up on its aspirations for the Odyssey home video game family. It canceled a heavily promoted, high-profile product because a promising business relationship was taking place, something that might save the Odyssey product line. What nobody knew was that external forces would bring that budding partnership to an end, sinking the Odyssey product line with it. That's all the time we have for the Select Game Podcast. You can hear Select Game on iTunes, Stitcher, and ThrowbackNetwork.net. And you can also subscribe through the RSS feed. You'll find the podcast itself and occasional goodies associated with it at www.thelogbook.com slash selectgame. And donations toward the site's upkeep and continued podcast production are always gladly accepted at patreon.com slash thelogbook or via my Amazon wish lists. Feel free to drop me a line at the Facebook page for thelogbook.com, via Twitter at logbookguy, or email me at earl at thelogbook.com. Select Game Expanded Memories of the Odyssey 2 is a production of thelogbook.com and was written and produced by Earl Green.